Hello, Sprocket Podcast listeners. This is Aaron. And Anna. And um, we are calling with a little bit of audio exposition on this show. So, uh, you noticed that I took a call right towards the beginning of the show, and then suddenly I disappeared. And what happened is uh, Anna had taken a spill over the handlebars of her bike, and I went to check on her, and we ended up in the hospital while Guthrie and Sean continued the show. You sprinted to the rescue. I sprinted I, I sprinted part of the way to the rescue. Then I got a little self-conscious of falling myself. <laughs> uh, well, all in all, Anna's okay. I'm fine. I got what I wanted, which is more time with Aaron. It was all an elaborate scheme. Yeah. <laughs> you could have just asked. <laughs> Anyways, enjoy uh, the conversation that Guthrie and Sean has. It's really good. Um, but also in the meantime, uh, that's what happened. Um, and now we are going to rest and I'm going to ask Anna questions every two hours to make sure she, her the my confession is legit. Yeah. <laughs> or it doesn't get worse. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's it. Enjoy the show and brush your teeth. Oh. Go to bed. Sorry I took away one of your co-hosts. I'll be back next week. <laughs> Bye. All right. Here we go. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks, and today... Sean Granton. <laughs> yes, some new old talk is, I, I think, what I coined it. Nice. Some time ago. New old talk. New old talk. I put Sean Granton in the house <laughs> on the show notes. Sean Granton, Trailer author did. of the comic New Old Stock, hence hence my play on words there. I like it. Um, and and me- I, I don't know, just Portland bike legend. How about that? <laughs> Portland bike color. How much did I pay you again for this? <laughs> At least a right? dollar. Okay, yes. good, good. If you paid us one fifty, would tell them to Twitter too. It's okay. We got Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know. That's how you know that Sean Granton is in the house. Old school tweed bike nerds, you know Sean Granton. We love Sean Granton. I'm not really a tweed bike nerd, I guess. Tweed bike nerd? It's a thing. Yeah. The tweed ride. You can become one. It's not that hard. They don't make it in black. They don't make enough of it in black. Uh, Well, you might, you know, you just have to do custom. (laughs) Custom, yeah. Yeah. Or just a bottle of dye, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Go take a roll in the mud. Problem solved. Anyways, how you been, Sean? <laughs> I've been good. Um, I just got back in from uh, the Bay Area, and boy, are my arms tired. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm not a comedian. I, I can't believe you went there. <laughs> I, I can't great. believe I went there either. You know, it just popped in my head. Is this one of those jokes that goes over Guthrie's head? 
Um, yeah. Know, I, cool. Maybe it's I mean, a generation. How old were you again? Yeah. 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 It's a <laughs> generational? Uh, yeah, it, basically, it was an old Borscht Belt joke of like, I just flew in from Denver and boy, my arms are tired. That was sort of a cliche bad joke. Oh, okay. That I just had to long form explain. You're good. I'm the That's ruiner gonna of jokes. That's going to make it funny, though. So. Okay. To, to all the people who didn't <laughs> yeah, understand yeah. it the first time. <laughs> yes, I am old. <laughs> no, old you're not. You're young. You're young at heart. Okay. <laughs> that I paid you two dollars, right? Exactly. Jefferson. We're, we're working Jefferson. our way okay. up there. Sean, thanks so much for coming into this. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for having me. How was the Bay Area? Um, it was good. I mean, it was interesting because you know, people have this, or at least Portland, we have this like, oh, California, like the weather's better when you go down there, and it wasn't really any better. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, no, it can't be any worse than it is right now. No, it wasn't worse than it was, but I mean, it was like bad for like Bay Area. I okay. mean, it was just like raining and cold and windy. I mean, like but and it was like sixty degrees. No, it wasn't even that oh, bad. Okay. Like, I mean, it was actually snowed in the hills outside of of the bay. Like all okay. the hills around the bay got some snow. Like they okay. were they were even talking about like the highest points in San Francisco Twin Peaks area, like getting a dusting, like which is like unheard of. Like, oh really? It didn't. I don't think it happened, but there there was like talk. I know that like a lot of the the mountains around the Bay Area definitely got some snow on them too. Like I saw some photos. So yeah, it wasn't exactly like you know going down to like a balmy like dry climate. Like I guess I probably should have gone to the desert for that, but I mean you know circumstances like you know dictate where you go sometimes. And so that I found myself in the Bay Area over the last. Uh, Basically, I got back last night, so for those following along at home, that was uh, Wednesday night, uh, the 7th or 6th. 6th. Yeah. yeah. I don't even remember the days. Thanks. <laughs> um, did you take any lessons back home with you? Um, not any lessons. I mean, I took an appreciation of Portland back with me, okay. <laughs> which is sort of ironic, but um, <laughs> I had some good moments. Um, I went um, for bike-related content, um, since we are a bike podcast, right? Or is this a radio show? I forget. Freeform. Okay, Freeform. <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, yeah. we're, free, we're on Freeform Portland? Ah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I did I did bring my bicycle, um, and I did do some riding, and not the bikes that you see in here, ah, Aaron, okay. but- uh, I, was, for, I was checking that yeah. out. Okay. But it was a different bike. It was this Raleigh Superb. And um, I did go um, – so the last time I went, I I checked out the Marin Museum of Bicycling, and I went again. Mm. And that's a very nice place to go if you do find yourself yeah. in the Bay Area and try to get over to that part, like in Fairfax, which yep. is, you know, Marin. So north of San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and one of the – like some great things about that was um, – that like there's a good collection of like historic bikes, but it's also the home of the mountain bike um, mm-hmm. hall of fame because Fairfax is right outside of Mount Tamalpais where, you know, it's the historical birthing of, mm-hmm. you know, modern mountain biking with the clunkers, you know, Gary Fisher oh, yeah. and yeah. all those people. And one of the things, one of the people that is usually there and like I was there that time was Joe Breeze, who is the man. Who, really? Yeah. He, okay. right, he usually, right. Yeah. He's usually, he's there a lot and like gives tours and stuff and he's what, for those that don't know, Joe Breeze is, you know, his claim to fame is that he made the first custom, you know, modern production mountain bike, mm-hmm. I believe back in 1978. Like, and it's also Breezer, the company, bike company Breezer mm-hmm. is, you know, his namesake. And he still has some some involvement in it, although he did sell the company years ago. But mm-hmm. so he was, that's what he did. And it was also funny because, like, I got there. And it seems like I, the last time it happened too, whereas I got there, it's like, oh, you should have been here an hour ago. Gary Fisher was here. Oh, <laughs> Charlie <laughs> Kelly. And it's like, oh, well, all right. Yeah. But I just, I also um, got to visit with um, Jackie Phelan, who is a legendary mountain biker, and Charlie Cunningham um, at the uh, 
offhand manner. And it's good to see that, um, I don't know if folks have heard of what Charlie Cunningham, um, a few years ago, he um, had a bike accident um, where he had a brain injury and um, you know, basically was a miracle that he survived. Like um, they basically, I forget exactly what happened, but there was sort of a lag time. Like he thought he was okay, but then found out mm-hmm. there was some bleeding in his brain. And so, oh, he, no. yeah, so he's been having a long recovery, but it's, it seems like he's going okay. Um, so that's good. And it was good to hang out with Jackie too and talk with her about stuff. Um, but yeah, it was a nice little fun time up in, up in Marin County when mm-hmm. I went over there. Yeah, and if if you're ever if you ever have the chance to get to Marin County, I too have visited that yeah. museum. Uh, it's kind of on your way down into the city as you. Ooh, finish, finish your thought, but I suddenly you're good. Got a no, this is the call. golden rule. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, you know what happens when you call during showtime? You get on air. Uh, hello. Oh, did we get butt dialed? <laughs> Who was it from? Anna. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Okay, so we'll pause recording. <laughs> Shit. Hey. It sounds like the Uber or whatever came through. Or... Yeah, that's good. Um, let me record a little segue for us here. Okay, that's good. Hello, Sprocket listeners. You may notice that for the rest of this episode, Aaron is not present. He may come back, but is currently attending to a family emergency. We know you'll understand, which is why we're continuing our show with Sean Granton. Hey Please, there. enjoy. So, Sean, we were talking about biking in Marin. Uh, yes, yes, I did that. And bike um, museums. Bike museums, so yeah. Um, definitely visit the Marin Museum of Bicycling if you can, if you go that way. I think you were talking about like how it's sort of on a main way, and like it is, um, I believe it's on, technically, like if you take the adventure cycling mm-hmm. or the book route of the biking the Pacific Coast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're going to gonna pass right by it. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, if, like, if you do coast down, uh, coast tour down to San Francisco, definitely make it a stop. Like, it's right there. I mean, oh, it's for right sure. there off the road. So, and it's like also sort of like right when you really enter, like, sort of like, you know, the towns of Marin after like going through the hills for a little bit. So, mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice little stop anyway. I like it too because it's kind of just like you're welcome into the Bay Area. Like yeah. You're, you're, you're clearing out of that. You're back on the flats. You're not quite to the Golden Gate, but you know you're there. Like, you, you're, you're being a part of that scene. You're you're in quote civilization unquote yep. like <laughs> after like you know being on the coast for like days and days and days like you're like now entering a you know a metro area basically yeah, yeah definitely um did you do anything else fun while you were down there um I checked out some bike shops and stuff um I managed to go to the Lucky Duck Cafe when I was down there um that's in Oakland's cool little uh bike shop slash cafe uh so sort of analogous to uh like golden pliers here now in portland oh yeah okay um, so, golden yeah. pliers uh just opened about eight months ago nine something months like ago? that during the summer they're over yeah. on uh north interstate and uh like uh skidmore mm-hmm. so right and, over by the prescott stop um, and uh, max and our sprocket listeners uh will remember that brock got his most recent bicycle from the golden pliers so ah good hooked him up with a good old i think a surly i i need to double check <laughs> Yeah, possibly. I mean, they're a good little bike shop. Um, I will also, uh, to plug myself, I will be doing a workshop there on the 2nd of March, the uh, Saturday the 2nd, a bike touring workshop that if you go to my website, you can uh, find out more information about that. Nice. Um, and also on the 20th, I'll be in Lake Tahoe playing with um, with Gary Shanling. And then we're on the 23rd, we'll be outside of Vegas at some club 
that um Siegfried and Roy- oh wait no no I am I'm sorry that was <laughs> I'm not doing any of those things I thought I was like a comedian for a, for You're good. a brief I, second I was with you every step of the way <laughs> Gary Shandling folks is unfortunately not with us anymore mm-hmm. but yeah still need I'd like to see the documentary they did about him uh, but that that's not bike related so that's okay yeah. we, we can wander a little bit it's I, I, I give you permission yeah. okay <laughs> um so traveling back from California, uh, are you happy to be back in Portland? Yes. I can say that emphatically, you know, weather be damned. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I enjoy the Bay Area, but, uh, you know, it is, it's it's sort of a tough little area to be in, like, in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of cool things to do, um, and there's a lot of great people there, but I just remember, like, biking around especially in san francisco i took my bike with me as i said and san francisco is definitely getting a lot better for biking over the years um but it's there's just still like the these sort of like cultural things like Mm. for example i was riding i think down valencia street in the mission which is you know has a main bikeway and it's a main route and it has bike lanes and i think i had to pass a car parked in the bike lane Every block, mm. every single block, maybe yep. two cars. And they're usually generally like this, you know, the stereotype, it was like an Uber driver, you know, dropping off or just idling. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, you know, it was a pain in the ass because you're just like a constant, like you're like on one hand, you're like, oh, great. I have a bike lane to myself for like bikes. And then you're like having to get back in the main travel lane mm-hmm. again to get around mm-hmm. all these cars double parked. And it was so ridiculous that like there was a few streets I went down that have like what I guess they call um, the protected bike lanes where you have the parking, you know, you have the bike lane that's like right next to the curb and yep. then there's a yep. parking lane. I'm like, oh, this is so much better. And then you get to those and there's people doing that stuff in those lanes too. And you're yeah. like, how am I, wait, like now I have to like get behind between like park cars to yeah, get like yeah. out. Like it was just ridiculous. It feels, feels um, surprisingly similar to our Rosa Parks debacle yeah. that I can think of mo- most recently for Portland folks. But like, but the th- I just rode on Rosa Parks and I didn't have to deal with any of that shit. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, but the thing with like Portland is it's like, you know, you know, it happens and then like people like figure it out. And I think, mm. I think there it was definitely much more of a, well, you know, whatever, like, mm. the, you know, and it's like, you know, you try to like do like the stare down of like the, the, you know, the person that's text, you know, on the phone and like the, the bike lane and they just like sort of like shrug at you like what are yeah. you gonna do about that like yeah I, it's funny you just described a sensation that i hadn't put words to but i feel like i i've absolutely experienced that yeah and i mean like not trying to like diss the bay area that much but you know just like it just was a de- little uh, just a little it was just like that <laughs> feeling of like you know just you know it, it just you know like it just made everything a little bit harder like mm. where the the enjoyment of, bi- of biking around this this vibrant city was like definitely taken down several notches like by that this prevalent culture that's developed there that you know and the, what I don't know if there's there's just not a lack of enforcement nobody cares enough like you know the bike advocacy you know uh, coalition doesn't have enough like say there's not enforcement I don't know hmm. I mean there's probably a lot of factors there that but like you know. What it still boils down to is if you're biking down a bike lane in Valencia, like during like the evening, you're going to have to dodge park hmm. cars in the bike lane. Like, yeah, like it's maybe not a regulatory priority, nor is it a social priority. No, given yeah. given I, I guess the norms for that area. Yeah, and I mean it's like I think a lot of that, you know, it's just probably an overtaxed, uh, overtaxed police department, and just 
I mean, there's the stereotype of the Bay Area now of tech bros. I mean, and like just people with money. And I mean, I definitely felt that a lot, like Hmm. just the place I was going, like it was, you know, trying to like go to places just to enjoy a beer and then encountering things like every beer being about $9 and there's a $10 minimum on credit cards everywhere Hmm. it went. Like, I mean, I, I know I'm just sort of like being like sort of cranky now, but it was just sort of like, I just want to go somewhere and just like, you know, chill for a little bit. And then I'm just like, you know, this is all. It was just. It just felt like that was everything that was going on. Like, and you're just like, well, hmm. then let me just go ride my bike. And it's like, oh, uh, like you can't do that either. Yeah, like, like <laughs> what? You're not what? on the embarcadero. Yeah, how dare you? Yeah, you know, and it's just. Then uh, <laughs> there, there I go being a bit glib. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is interesting because I feel like. So I have to, I have to say that it feels as though if one were part of that fabric, that you would be able to suss out the place i think that you're seeking but maybe maybe just not in the visitor sense or maybe it would take a little bit more searching for um just before we started recording we were talking about like lowdown on some great pizza spots around town so did you get a sense that maybe that still exists but maybe you just weren't hitting on it possibly i mean it's it's hard like you know i think like it is one of those things like there's always going to be an insider knowledge that you know if as a visitor that just comes to town briefly you're not might not gonna hit on but I mean, it's like I feel like I've had like some history with the Bay Area. I mean, I lived mm. there about twenty years ago, so it's not like everything's new to me. But it just felt mm. like since coming back, like things are like you know definitely have changed a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's also the the other the other gripe is just trying to get your bike around with a transit, like maybe not so much the buses, but like um, the BART system when the Bay Area Rapid mm-hmm. Transit, the subway which is just it's gotten better for bikes and i understand like they've done like the advocacy groups have done things mm-hmm. to improve SF it coalition uh, but, like and others yeah especially that like i mean I, I know that like years ago like you can't you couldn't take your bike on bart during rush hour which yep. was like a major sticking point they got around that but i mean it's still like trying to like get around these stations that have lots of elevators and stairs and um you know and i'm, I'm just saying this is like a person like that's able-bodied like i can just imagine the difficulties especially if you are, you know, not and like mm-hmm. you maybe have a mobility device and trying to get around using BART. I mean, I, I think the classic thing, even like 20 years ago when I lived in the Bay Area, it was like looking at the reader boards. And it was like the update in the elevators that are closed right now. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, especially you had a mobility device and like trying to like use BART and like not be able to get off the station you want to and having to go down to the next station that's a mile and a half from where you need to be. Like, you know, so that's, you know, I'm just griping as somebody that's able-bodied with a bike, but I can imagine, like, yeah. Yeah, how much harder it is if you're not. I mean, and in, in you're thinking about those things. Yeah. And, and it, it might be thoughts for us, but it's a reality for yeah. many. Yeah, I mean, and, like, you know, it just sort of makes me appreciate, like, the max a little bit more because, for the most part, it's, like low level platforms and like there's no barriers mm-hmm. and it's like you know there's only a few elevators you have to deal with yeah um i was thinking the most recent news on that scene was the elevator at was like hollywood district was out no for, six, uh, 60th avenue was it okay yeah six, uh, that's sort of close to where i am so yeah that w- that was out for a while and but i mean there's only like three stops on the east side that use elevators and then of course zoo like mm-hmm. so i mean that's really like four stations I guess also Sunset, mm-hmm. you know, has yep. has the elevator there too. So yeah. it's probably like five stations total, but like Bart is every station is an elevator. So yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, there's and then like just in thinking in general, like about like of other cities with their transit systems with like subways. I remember years ago finishing up a tour in Chicago, and 
I had like a flat and didn't really want to ride anymore. And my friends, I was sort of downtown ish and my friends were living up in Rogers park. I was staying with them, which is like the very North side of Chicago on the lake and trying to figure out like, you know, because like Chicago, like the, the else doesn't have like subways in every stop. Like, so you have to know what stations are. And like, we were getting on in a station that like didn't. So we're like trying to like, I mean, like my partner at the time, like dragging loaded touring bikes downstairs, mm. many flights of stairs, like, you know, we're trying to like do a relay system of throwing like panniers down and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, had we known that the next station that was a, a half mile away had an elevator, we would have went to it. But there was no way like in that, yeah. like, you know, you just don't have the context for it. Well, I mean, there was like. There wasn't even, I mean, it was, you know, I guess smartphones were around at that time. So, but like, it wasn't like ubiquitous like it is now. But like, mm. I think the thing I got really frustrated with was um, like the the city of Chicago put out a bike map and they talked about like the, this, you know, they, they put the subway stops on it. But the only thing they indicated was like if there was bike parking at that, which I mean, is one aspect but it's like, wouldn't it have been much better? Like, if also you could tell us there was an elevator. Like, so if you're going to bring your bike on the the L, mm-hmm. that you knew which ones had this, the elevator and which ones didn't, so yeah. that like yeah. save yourself from like dragging your heavy bike up and down sets of stairs. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and this is like you know Chicago's, you know, the BART system in the Bay Area was built in the '60s mostly, and uh, it de- debuted in the '70s. So and, like, it still has that like futuristic like you know, George Lucas TXX, THX vibe to it. Whereas like the L... <laughs> That's a good way to know, describe like, it. <laughs> it's, it's like the future as we imagine it in 1970. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, the cars too, they have that look and they, they do that like when they come to the this, this stop, like they have the, uh, the, the, the train horn that's like beep, beep, like where it's like a very obvious synthetic beep and the voices, the woman's voice is a very obvious synthetic like... You know, I'm 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 sure like some Bay Area DJs have like remixed that, like you mm. know, done a mix with like the Bart voice talking mm-hmm. about like you know next train, you know, and if not, ten car train to, to Daly City <laughs> approaching in five minutes. It's like, yeah, yeah, voice, but like you know, Chicago is like you know turn of the 20th century like transit system. So it's like you know you sort of expect like these little quirks and stuff like mm. that of like you know it's just stairs here like on this stop we built in you know 1906 type yeah. of thing but it would have been nice like you know i think like as somebody that like bikes a lot and tours a lot like when you see these things like with maps like where maps can be like this really like sort of you know this 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 big resource especially like if you don't have access to um you know data and stuff mm-hmm. like that or yeah. you know, back in the day where you really nobody really did yeah, like but like you're just like you know you're just like why didn't they put that thing in there why couldn't they've like said mm-hmm. you know this is where you know like this is these are the stops that have an elevator so yeah. if, like you're yeah. bringing your bike because this is a bike maps and so like but they like only thought of like well you know and i think there's like this sort of old school like and trimed and we had this here up to a certain time like because you know like bikes were sort of like 20 years ago were sort of more frowned upon about on the max and it's mm-hmm. like this idea of like well you're gonna bike to the station lock it up and get on and yeah it's like and most people with bikes are like no i you, don't want to do have, that like, yeah i mean you have the you have that uh, eternal struggle that is the vision of the planner and then the vision of the people that are using the infrastructure yeah. I, it, I feel like that happens a lot of times with um when you're looking at like bike improvements and uh-huh. you, you you ride through it and you're just like wow did anybody ever like actually ride a bike through that yeah to see what that felt like and yeah i feel like a lot of those, those these like these things it's like they're well intentioned by like a government agency but like they don't think of like what would be more useful is like 
most people don't care about the bike parking at the station. They care about like whether I can get, like easily roll my bike on this elevator, yep. get up to the platform easily because mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave my bike at the station. Like, and I think that's like there's still they're like that like sort of like planner mentality of like, I mean like it, even like when you look back at like the Max or you know Portland's light rail system when it was being developed in the 70s like and not I mean it wasn't impl- wasn't built in like didn't start till 86 but like you know the planning process starts in like the late 70s when they finally said we're going to do this mm-hmm. and like if you look at the original plans of Max like the whole idea was this like commute hour commute system like yep. it was like they were going to run it like basically the Banfield from downtown to Gateway mm-hmm. and they might have had one stop in between like at like Hollywood or Lloyd District but that was it like it was just going to yeah, be like yeah. a, uh, we're going to put a massive park and ride at Gateway yep. and then we're just going to run the trains during rush hour type of thing. It was interesting too I was actually just talking to somebody today about the promotional materials that TriMet put out back when that launched uh-huh. and it's this weird I, I don't know if anybody's ever ever seen that I'll try to post a link because I know I have it bookmarked somewhere but um, it was almost this, in a similar sense to the San Francisco system, this utopian ideal of like, yeah. yep, this is how it will work. This is what will happen. But then you get on the ground and it's completely different. Like you've got diverse needs. You've got a lot of people trying to use that system in different ways. And to Portland's credit, I would say that they have adapted to a lot of those needs over time. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I'm thankful that like we've, we as the, the, the metro area have like done, like made it easier for like a bike to get on the train like we have hooks which i understand like not everybody has the strength or like have a heavy bike to get yeah. on the hooks but it's a lot easier than like taking the bark where bart where you have to like sort of hold it still leaning up against like i mean the smart mm-hmm. people that you the people that are that use bart with bikes a lot bring their own bungee cords so they can yep. like yep. strap it like so that it they won't know the go. deal like but, like <laughs> as like you know but i'm thinking of like me as just like sort of an occasional person that goes down there and use it and like uh, what do I do again? Like, mm-hmm. you know, just like these type of things. And it's like, you know, you want, I, f- I feel like as like people like designing like transit for people, it's not, you know, just the people that like are the, you know, the lifers that are going to like learn all the quirks. It's like, mm. you want to make it easy and appealing for like somebody yeah. that may not know the language mm-hmm. that are are visiting to use it. And like, if, you know, I mean, like getting the 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 really weird quirk about like Bart with bikes is like you got to get off these elevators, use these elevators, and the elevators are outside the gate, so you have to like get back in and then go yeah, out yeah. and then use the turn, and you're like, what? Like, yeah. you know, it's like there's you know, like there was like one station like where I, like they had the where it was all outside, so you just basically you know swipe it here, but like a lot of the stations you have to go back in and back mm-hmm. out. You're like. What? what like yeah like this makes no sense like this is mm-hmm. just not like it's not intuitive it's not like you really have to know like you like have to like you know t- take this like you know half hour course of like how to mm-hmm. ride there's got to be there's yeah. got to be a zine about it or something yeah like or something like and i know like i mean and even that like i mean i know when i first started like when i first moved to portland in 2001 like in order to take your bike on transit, like you had to actually have a pass. Yep. You had to pay for a special pass here and like have a little training of how to use the bike rack on the bus and stuff like yeah. that. And I, I don't know. We've come a long we've way. We've come a long way. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's like, cause it, I mean, theoretically in that era, like if you got on like, you know, and like the bus driver can refuse you if you didn't have a pass, mm-hmm. even if you knew what you were doing, yeah. which is like, but what if you're like traveling? Like, what if you're like from out outside the yeah. area? Like, you know. Well, the- and I think there's that consideration 
wasn't there. Like I think back to the first times that I used bikes on public transit, um, both in the sense of Salem's chariot transit system uh-huh. and then also Portland's. And I can still recall the exact like experience of doing those for the first time. And so I think you, you have a really good point about making it. Maybe, maybe the word I would use is seamless, um, a way for people to intuit rather than to work through the process of enabling themselves to be able to take advantage of the transportation systems available. Yeah. Because there's, there's, we, I mean, a, examples abound of ways that are not so great at it. Um, so I feel like that, that solution seeking towards finding ways that are, is just going to continue to be something that helps close that gap. Yeah. And I'm, I'm all for like trying to like make it seamless. Like, and I, you know, that's, I feel like if you want to especially like enable people to do these things, like you have mm-hmm. to make move towards seamlessness and not like that you feel like you have to like be in skull and bones or something like yeah. that to like yeah. to you you know, bring your bicycle on a Mad you know, Max transit battle system. Tested. You know, like <laughs> but that's like when I was taking it out in Bart, like I felt like I had to like you know, it's like remembering like like things of like, Oh yeah, I can't bring it on the first car, they'll yell at me. Like, yep. And they yep. will yell at you. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> even even back in so twenty fifteen I did the bike trip. And even then, so I, I used um, a bit of transit both in San Francisco and then over to the Bay Area. Yeah. I feel like I feel like even in 2015, I was, it was kind of like I came out of the coast into stress because I came into that system and yeah. it was all of a sudden just like, oh, am I doing the wrong thing? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm going to make a go for it, but I'm not sure. And then, you know, you get yelled at or you get told. Unfortunately, there were a couple of people who could kind of identify that like lost deer in the headlight look yeah in in a solo traveler <laughs> but you know if it weren't for those people i definitely would have had a uh less pleasant experience or just pretend you don't know how to speak english like i mean like that stereo it's like be like you know no comprende like i've so, got like, no clue yeah like maybe then they'll be like nice and just show you but like that's yeah that's like where you have to feel like you're like you have to do that like to in order to like you know i feel and, like I feel like the bike people take like a certain like form of pity on you sometimes. And and, like most of the time you're like, I don't need it. But every now and then you're like, yes, please do (laughs) like help me through this process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So switching topics a little bit into Portland, um, you're still doing art. You're still doing uh, drawings, correct? I am. Yes. Okay. Um, what, what have you been up to lately in that regard? Well, I've been still drawing my comic new old stock, which Mm -hmm. I've done sporadically since about 2011 so okay. it's sort of my regular series and not like i i don't like series is sort of like a you know grand way of saying it it's just comics that i draw like i don't there's not there's no like plot or anything like that it's basically a series of one page four panel gag comics okay. so there's no like oh i had to read the f- issue like the th- issue two issues ago to like know what's going on gotcha like, i mean it's sort of designed that that way less sequential yeah, it's not. There's no like grand story being told. So just the idea of just you know a bunch of different little things, sort mm-hmm. of like my life and bikes and just other quirks and stuff about that. Mm-hmm. About riding around in Portland and just bikes in general. Mm-hmm. What has been sort of the focus for that work lately? I mean, it just sort of like my interest in bicycling, which is not a racing interest or like any sort of endurance or extreme activity, like transportation cycling you know some touring and stuff like that but basically you know riding around town type of thing Mm -hmm. doing utility cycling as some would call it Mm -hmm. what uh do you do you draw like inspiration so your your tweed in in a sense do you draw inspiration from that or where where do you 
how how is your idea process or what what sort of gets you started because it's intermittent but you know when you when you do go to put pen to paper what what drives that process basically if something happens like you know and one of the things like i try to do like in sort of drawing like in sort of this sort of traditional four panel gag you know think of newspaper comics mm-hmm. like stuff like that like hey what what anything interesting happen or like how can i process this thing that that was sort of weird or maybe actually not good but process it in a way that like can be somewhat humorous and like i can you know get something out of it versus like just steaming about it like mm. you know, the, the thing about like they you know the as i was saying earlier about valencia street in san francisco and the uber drivers is like you know my head is spinning how to, how to turn that into a comic like mm-hmm. you know biking around san francisco because you, know, you can gripe about things and that's fine everybody should be able to like vent um from time to time but actually sort of putting it like sort of like making some sort of like positive creation out of it instead of just having all this negative energy, like trying to like sort of like harness some negative energy and put it into positivity. And it's not all that. I mean, I do have like positive things that I talk about too, but like, you know, those, those are always the things like the sort of the, you know, the, just like, Oh damn it. That person cut me off. Like, because if you are a city cyclist and ride around, like there are just going to be things that happen to you like that, like that, you know, how do I, how do I make how do I turn this around so that it's just not like, you know, just me like saying, fuck you, you know, mm, type of mm. thing. Like, I mean, that's like the most visceral thing. Like it's the when, release valve, you know, if somebody cuts you off. You want to like swear at them. But like, you know, and it's a release valve and it gets you like five seconds. But what does it really yeah. like get you in the long run? Like, mm-hmm. so that's it's, that's an interesting uh, interplay, because I mean, like, as you were saying, I think we've all experienced that. And I feel like I modify my approach over the years but also like i go through different phases of like the fuck you and then just the like oh no i'm gonna let it go or like i wasn't hurt so technically i should be over this now um but you're not (laughs) so i'm glad that you have the comic as a as a release for that yeah it's a release for that and also like i mean there's like certain aspects of like bicycle culture that i like i I talk about like especially in the, the sort of the weird worlds that i i sort of inhabit like yeah you know three speed bikes and like talking about, um, you know, making fun of Jan Hein and stuff like that. No, well, Jan, I love you. But uh, <laughs> actually, I haven't done that in a long time. But, you know, stuff like that where people like, you know, get in these weird little esoteric bends of stuff that like it's, you know, we're like, you know, we're now into like the whole like gravel biking and bike packing mm. worlds of mm-hmm. stuff where like that, you know, have always been around in some form, but like have, you know, sort of taking like this new life. Like yeah. it's sort of like yeah. how we were like, Say if you were an urban biker in like 2005 to 2010, you'd be like, oh, fuck those fixies, you know, shit like mm. that. Like now it's like there's this new thing where people are talking a lot about and for mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm definitely interested in like, you know, th- these new worlds. But like, you know, there's always like something new that comes up that's like sort of a, a new wrinkle on the whole bike culture do you feel like it is um, sort of innovation for innovation's sake, or do you feel that these shifts or changes occur more naturally based on sort of a new direction or a new whim that kind of takes or gets popularized within in the public notion? Wow, that's heavy, man. I know. I'm going right to it. <laughs> um, I think it's probably a mix of both. Okay. I mean, I, you know, there's always people trying to, like, to, you know, innovate, but I think there, there's, like, definitely people come in and, you know, like hey, wouldn't this be interesting? Or, like, this is just something they've done. Like, I, and we were talking earlier about, like, Marin and, like, the whole, you know, 
basically how mountain biking, the modern idea of mountain biking was formed by people that took in the 70s in Marin County, took old Schwinn Excelsior and other like balloon tire, you know, tank framed bikes, uh, you know, cruisers as we call it now and like clunkerized them. Um, did a bunch of improvements and rode down the fire road, repack road that they called down, you know, from Mount Tamalpais and, you know, did that regularly and mm. like how that sort of developed into this thing. And like, n- I don't think anybody back then was like, oh, yeah, this is going to really become a thing. Like mm. it is now like mm-hmm. mountain biking, like as, you know, as a sport, as as culture, like they were just fucking around, like mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah, it was like, fun, like I'm just doing my thing, yeah, doing my thing, and yeah, like this yeah, is yeah. cool, and other people get turned on, and all of a sudden, like it's a multi million dollar industry, like yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's always there's always those people that are like there's people out there that are like I'm gonna do this thing and it's gonna get so big, man, like. I've like run into those people over there. And you're like, uh huh, and you roll your eyes and stuff like that, <laughs> you know. But, but it's like, the ones who stick with it for forty years. Yeah, and it happens. <laughs> I think the more like the, then it was more organic. Like mm. it wasn't like people were like, we're gonna do this thing and it's gonna take over the world. Like mm. nobody, mm. nobody was really thinking that. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody was at least like. And I've written, I've read like a few of those books that the people have put out, like flat, a fat tire flyer that uh, Charlie Kelly put out a few years ago. That was sort of a collect, not really a collection of the magazine he put. Out, but just sort of a recollection of like the Marin County clunker, you know, mountain bike culture in the seventies into the eighties, and it's like I don't, I don't think anybody really, you know, realizes it's going to be a runaway train. Like, mm-hmm. People usually don't. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because I think the point of it, and I think this applies to so many things, is somebody uh, who I who I get get some advice from from time to time whenever they advise other people in the profession, they just say like, do it because you love it. Don't do it because it's going to get big like if you're asking like how can i make money or how can i get a living or how can i do this for x or y or z you're asking the wrong question the question is do you enjoy doing it and if you do it long enough because you enjoy doing it if it turns into something that itself is a gift yeah and that's the thing is it's like the people that like are trying to do like will this make me money those are the people that are always into any little like little get rich scheme and like they're all those are the people like you work with at like a crappy job and they're always like trying to pull you inside and t- talk to you about amway and stuff like mm-hmm. that is like they're multi-level you know, like, marketing yeah is like banned. you know like they're, they're they're always like looking for this thing that was like you mm-hmm. know the and like i get it people want to like you know put minimum effort in and get maximum profit out of things and they're always trying to look for this next yeah next or new scheme or to define something that kind of defies definition it's more something that's intrinsic rather than uh rather than for the external benefit that they would perceive to get from it or something like that yeah i mean it's not all about money yeah i can i can agree on yeah. that one <laughs> <laughs> yes do it do know. it because you love it yeah I mean, I've made millions of dollars drawing this new old stock comic. Hey, you made $2 this episode already, so Whoa. you're doing good. <laughs> $2? How did I make... <laughs> well, you got a beer out of it. Speaking of which, uh, our sponsors for beer this evening are the Beer Mongers on Southeast Division N12. What are you having there, Sean? Uh, looks like I'm having an Ancestry uh, Tiny Umbrella... Tiny Umbrellas IPA. It's a IPA. Um, which is an indie pale ale. I, it was funny. Like last night, I was on the train and like I was sitting next to this guy, in the dining car, and I ordered a uh, beer from another company that's not being sponsored by us tonight. And and he's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's a beer. It's like an IPA. What's that? It's like you know indie pale ale. What's that? It's like, oh boy, I don't really want to go. To, I'm not I'm not going to be your beer explainer tonight, mm-hmm. sir. We've got to Google. Yeah, 
It's mo- like mo- most folks. Have is it problem. better than like Miller? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it's different. Well, th- yeah, that would be a rude awakening. I feel Ancestry like. Brewing. It's better than Miller. <laughs> that should be their new slogan. Yeah, I want another beer out of you guys. <laughs> oh, it looks like you got a Machine House. Um, I do. Which actually, uh, to plug them, um, is an official s- sponsor of Society of Three Speeds. Okay. Yes. Tell um, us a bit about that. I'm not. I don't know about, about that Machine, relation. Ha- machine House or the Society of Three Speeds. Or? Let's, let's go both. Okay. Do we have any more? We don't, okay. unfortunately. All right. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll make a note for next time, though. <laughs> all um, right. So uh, Machine House, um, they are located in Seattle. They have two different locations. I think they might be listed on this bottle. Um, there's one, I think, in Georgetown and one sort of in near the cent- – between, like, Central District and Capitol Hill and, like, one of those neighborhoods that doesn't really have a name that anybody sort of, like, recognizes except that, like, they all – people just, you know, depending on, like – you know, like how, like – in Portland, like, you know, Alberta Street became this area that, like, expands for, like, six miles in any direction, depending mm. on, like, the realtor. Like, Fair enough. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, like, are, are we Central District or are we Capitol Hill? So it's, like, sort of in between those. We should um, just start telling people that Alberta District is Lloyd. Yeah, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the Machine House, um, basically, they have – we. Uh, Basically, if you go to the Machine House Brewery and you're a member of Society Three Speeds, uh, you can get a discount on certain select beers. Nice. And what is Society of Three Speeds? Well, um, it is a a society that was founded by me back in 2013. And the simple idea is just to appreciate three-speed bicycles. And when I say three-speed bicycle, I mean a bike that has an internally geared hub of just three gears. Or sometimes the four- or five-speed versions are fine, too. But, like... No, it's not, you know, you decided to just use the, your triple chain ring on the front and nothing on the back. Like mm, it, is, mm-hmm. it is a specific type of bike, like, that people have talked about, like, the three-speed bikes over the years. Very much popularized by the British. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Stormy Archer fan. Stormy Archer. Yep. Um, Raleigh Industries, which is the behemoth of the bike industry for in the world for a number of years. I mean, they were, like, the biggest bike company in the world in, mm-hmm. like, 50s and 60s. Um, not anymore, but... Uh, I feel like they still have a fair bit of clout. Oh, they still have a fair bit yeah. of clout, but, yeah... Giant definitely took over from Fair enough. you know Giant is appropriately enough named themselves that you know because they knew what they were doing mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. uh so basically uh, it was a, a style really predominant in the British Isles um especially from about like say the 30s up until about the 70s like um especially any like so that was sort of the good workhorse bike of the British population uh, th- three speeds um low medium high and dependable bikes that really didn't need a lot of maintenance um maybe leaked away a little bit but you know <laughs> whatever it's british, british it stuff. yeah you're good um but stiff upper lip yeah so it was like you know like the classic raleigh sports a very very sort of nice efficient classy looking bike that didn't change much from decade to decade um and was the workhorse of the population for a long time and one of the reasons why I did that is not just a sort of like a historical society because, I mean, there is definitely some charm looking back at some of the stuff going on in, in the U.K. back in that era, um, especially especially like in the, say, like the 50s where it was like post-World War II and there was still a degree of austerity in the British Isles mm. and cars hadn't yet really – I mean, people had cars in Britain. I'm not saying like they're all like, you know, nobody had a car, but it wasn't – it wasn't ubiquitous in the British population until the sixties until like, you know, the austerity went away and the roaring sixties swinging London and stuff like that came out. So it was sort of like 
the primary means of transportation by m- much of the people in that era. Hmm. And they did everything with these bikes. Like they got around town, grocery shopping, and they did tours. I mean, there was a lot of big touring culture in Britain in that era of people riding out on the weekends, going in the countryside, maybe taking the train a bit of ways and then getting off and hopping off and riding 20, 40, 60 miles, maybe camping, maybe mm-hmm. staying at a, like a little inn, you know, mm-hmm. type of place and coming back, maybe doing a longer tour and stuff like that. And they, they did it all with three speed bikes. I mean, they didn't, you know, maybe if they were given a bike with like when it was like i think they shram introduced 12 speed now like i just yeah, saw I something we're up to 12 we're, we're finally sounds got about, to 12 that like about right. you know 11 wasn't enough now 12 so like you know theory, theoretically have a bike with 36 different gears like now <laughs> but they managed to do it okay with three like mm-hmm. you know if the hill was too big they pushed and yeah just, and it got off was it the the single speed of its generation well, or, I, mean, I yeah. guess not. It wouldn't even be. It would be more like the the twenty four speed of its generation. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the the, the do everything bike, and people mm-hmm. did everything with these bikes. Um, and up to up to racing. I mean, I heard about counts that people would use their bike, and like, and this is an era where like you owned one bike. Like mm-hmm. there was not like. You know, I've I have multiple bikes. You probably have more than one bike. I'm, I actually only have one bike. Wow, I'm a one bike guy. Wow, yeah, but that's like a philosophy now. It's just kind of how it happened. Yeah, <laughs> but I know there's like people that are like the one bike people that are like you know just only have one bike. Yeah, and I mean I, I can get behind that philosophy. I just mm-hmm. never never can take it on myself. But... For me, for me, I think it's that I decided that bike number two is going to be really freaking cool yeah. and made by a local handmade frame builder, and I. Uh, haven't haven't scrapped together enough funds to make that happen so visa i'm a one bike guy well but i think in this era it's more of a choice like mm. i mean you can easily like oh i need a second bike let me go to craigslist by tomorrow you can like spend like 150 dollars on okay. something and fix it up like, fair enough fair enough back back in the 50s in britain like it was you just didn't have the money to do that stuff mm-hmm. like so you're you're and like also there wasn't really a lot of variety in bicycles like it wasn't like that you're gonna like oh, i have a gravel bike yeah. and i have a carbon road bike and i have you know, yeah, yeah. this bike, it was like, you had a three-speed bike. And that was... I think you're speaking, too, to, like, an appreciation of, like, well-built. And when I think of Sturmy Archer, that's yeah. basically the first thing that comes to mind. Is like, they might not be the bee's knees in terms of new technology, but no. they will be the hub that works. No, and, and I mean... And it keeps working for years. And I mean, I know that, like, a lot of people disparage, like, internal gear hubs because it's like, they can't see what's going on, and they'll just talk about... They'll bring up a horror story of, like, you know, one you know, spontaneously combusted when they were riding at one point or something like that, which I've not been able to prove, hmm. but you know, it's like, there's always like somebody would be like, well, you know, you never know. Like they can da da da, And it's just like, but people have been riding. Like I've, I've owned Sturmy Archer hubs from the fifties that still work. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, most people, if you, let's just like talk about derailers from the fifties. Like, unless it was like a campy derailleur, like most of the derailers like that you would be able to get on an affordable bike in that era you know aren't probably that great now like i've i've owned i've i've owned like 60 schwins that had like simplex derailers and they were just like they were just you know these behemoth things that like never seemed to work right hmm. like 
I had like a Schwinn Collegiate that had a five speed simplex derailleur that like I can only get get at best four of the gears out of. Like mm-hmm. no, no matter how much you adjusted those limit screws, like yep, yep. you would get four gears. I'm turning. Nothing's yeah, happening. Yeah, like or you, you would change. Like I got the high now, but now I don't have the low. Like and it's mm-hmm. like, but the, this you know the the good old Sturmy Archer AW hub like those three gears usually worked. So like it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know well maybe. Maybe they, maybe if I, you know, I adjust this more, it's like, no, they usually worked. And also the interesting thing, like looking back at like some of these bikes of that era, like, especially like when say the, the bike boom started in the early seventies in the U S and like 10 speeds became like the, mm-hmm. the bike to own. Everybody wanted a 10 speed bike. Yep. Yep. And then you look at like the gearing, like if you want, like this is sort of getting a little wonky, but like looking at some of the gearing of like the 10 speeds of that era, like if you took a, a gear chart and like translated in gear inches, and you're like compared to three speed, and you're like, wow, there's really not much difference in the range. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're not like if you had a ten speed in like the early seventies, you weren't getting like a eighteen inch low gear out of it to like you know yeah. climb like a goat up a mountain. You might be getting like thirty eight. Was that sort of maybe the start of flash versus versus substance? Or I think I mean I don't know if it was like flash versus substance, but I like hmm. I like to collect old uh, like books about bikes from earlier eras and it's always just interesting to read these books because you sort of get a sense of what people were thinking Hmm. in general about bikes in that era like Hmm. you look at like books like especially american books like put out during the bike boom from like the late 60s into the 70s they all they talked a little bit about like three-speed gears but they were like quick to dismiss them as much as possible like Hmm. you know oh yeah i guess if you're not going to ride any more than three miles but like you really want a 10 speed and like and then they would spend like they they would have like one paragraph to disparage Jeremy Archer, and then they'd spend like sixty pages on how to get an ideal, how to build your ideal derailleur system. Hmm. Like, I mean, seriously, it was like you have to like go to this one catalog over here and wait six weeks to get this free wheel mm. and then f- go, call somebody in France that'll send you this like chain ring and this like <laughs> it was just like oh my god like esoteric. I, I, you know it was just like <laughs> like especially like touring books of that era was like huh. try to get like what they considered quote alpine gearing to get like low gearing huh. like and it was just like a lot of work it wasn't like you can go into a store and like buy you know a standard 10 speed and get that gearing mm-hmm. you had to put a lot of work to it and like nowadays if you want to get a touring bike and like get some good gearing you just walk in a bike shop and look for a touring bike you don't yeah, have to like yeah. you know and then go home and then you know go to amazon and order like six different things from six different places yeah. to build this you know this ultimate drivetrain i mean you can if you want but like it was like such a thing like then like where you had to do all that stuff and you're yeah. like and it's like so why is three speeds bad again like yeah you know it's just like I mean, you get a low, medium, and high. Like it's, it's there, not like a lot, a lot, a lot of effort that you put into that. I mean, like you're sort of limited in the sense of like, you know, the 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 ratio is the ratio. You can't really, you know, have like the low be super low and the high be super high. You're sort of limited to what yeah. comes. But like, it was a pretty pretty practical range. And like when you compare it like to the off the shelf ten speed of that era, like and look at the low gear that like, you know, if you bought like a you know a Peugeot. Which were really popular back in the early seventies, yep, like yep. what was the despite their bottom bracket uh, standard? Despite, yeah, like despite all the French parts, like <laughs> you know, like sorry, the, sorry, French parts yeah, aficionados. Yes, yeah, sorry, Jan Hein. Um, I, I hope you know VeloOrange.com. <laughs> but yeah, you just like wow, it's like the low gear on this this you know, Peugeot ten speed, you know, with derailleurs isn't much. Is about the same low I, I can get on this Sturmy Archer three speed. Yeah, but I have to say. Um, 
Probably one of the most enjoyable bikes I've ever worked on was a Molten with a Sturmy Archer 3-speed. And it walked into the shop, and at first we had no freaking clue what was going on, but just, like, researching into that bike, I I am not... um, like, I'm, I'm an appreciist in the sense that I'll look, like, for the Marin Bike Museum is, is a good example. Like, I'll mm-hmm. appreciate that, but I, I only get so deep into it. But when the Molten walks in, I think that was the first time I really connected, like, back through the decades and was like, wow, you know, this was made back in the 70s, you know, late 70s there. And you're just like, this thing walked in and somebody cared enough to want to put work into this, like... A, I can appreciate that, and B, I can appreciate what a beautiful machine this is. And just when it is tuned and when it's working, it's basically like it walked right off the assembly line. Yeah, I mean, Alex Moulton was ahead of his time on his bikes, and, I mean, they still make Moultons. Mm-hmm. I mean, he passed away a few years ago, but, like, I mean, it, you know, just the technology, mm-hmm. like, that he put into those bikes... I had a um, opportunity to do a warm showers host with somebody riding a Molten on a tour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and he had actually visited the Molten factory in Britain, and they don't have any like protocol for it. But he said he showed up at the gate, and they were like, "Yeah, come on in and like spend the night." <laughs> so you know, I think that I think that goes a long way. And I think it helps that he had a Molten. Too. Oh, it yeah. definitely like, was because you know, he had the Molten. <laughs> they're like, "Oh, you're touring on a Molten? Okay, yeah, like, you're in." <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but, like, getting back to, like, just three speeds in general, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it, I feel like it's just nice how complicated our world is and how complicated bikes can get. I mean, and bikes can get really complicated to just appreciate, like, a simpler bike. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not saying you can't have complicated bikes. I'm not saying you can't have carbon fiber and hydraulic disc brakes and DI2 and whatever the new thing they're going to, you know, SRAM or Shimano or whatever's going to come out with next year. Mm-hmm. But there's something like very humble about a bike that's, you know, basically from an earlier time that still works perfectly to do what you need to do is yeah. get to from A to B. And really that's what a bike is to get from A to B. And like all these other things we load onto it. I mean, you know, that's all secondary. It's like you're riding a bicycle. Like yep. it doesn't really matter what kind of bike it is. You're riding a bike. Yeah. And definitely that's, just sort of appreciation of that of like you know especially like getting around like a city like portland that one of the things i appreciate about with the speed is like for the most part that's what i need like i don't i mean if i was gonna if i was gonna commute in the west hills every day um because i know like when you when i talk about like three speeds there's always like the people like what if this what about this what about yeah. this and yeah. it's like do you actually do that on a day-to-day basis like do you commute over the west hills every day like i'm not saying people aren't out there but if you're not, do you really need like a bike that's, you know, has all these things or like a, a mm-hmm. low gear of 10 gear inches or something like that? And I actually brought my three speed down the Bay Area and people were like, oh, you know, you go in the Bay Area, there's hills. I'm like, yeah, I know. But like, you know, there's other you, you can get around hills for one. Like, I mean, especially like, you know, in your in a city, like if you're, you know, a city commuter, it's like most people are trying to not go up the steepest hills when they're on their daily bike commute. I mean, I'm not saying everybody. I mean, I know there's people out there that are looking for that, that sort of thrill or that like challenge and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for most people when they're doing like their daily commute, especially like when you're like running late to work, it's like, you know, if your choice is between the flatter route and like the really steep route, like which one are you normally take? Like you're going to go for the flatter route because you just want to get to work and like get it done. So it's, you know, riding on the Bay Area, I was riding around the East Bay, and 
Oakland and Berkeley, unless you're like getting really into the the hills there, like it's pretty pretty gentle grades. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like the, the 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 slight grade coming up from the bay up to the hills. Yeah, you can choose the the fast approach or the easy go approach. Yeah, and even getting around San Francisco, it's like I didn't I didn't go up to Coit Tower, but like how many people bike up to Coit Tower? Like how many people are how many people on their day to day rides are like finding the twenty percent grade hills mm-hmm. of San Francisco? Like, yeah. I mean, I feel like what about ism or like what if ism sells a lot of bikes? Yeah, but I think yeah, your point is well driven. Yeah, that on a day to day basis, how how often does that actually happen? And I mean, like honestly, like if you know the the hill is really just too steep and it's like not forever long, like you can just get off and walk the bike. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that's that's like sacrilege, but yeah, you know, all, it's, I've I've done it. Yeah, I mean, Shame, it's shameless. It, but I mean, like, I feel like it's like this thing now. It's like you can't ever get off a bike to mm. walk it. And mm. in that era, like you know, when I was talking about people um, in Britain touring on three-speed bikes back in the mid-centuries, there was definitely a lot of walking, gotten off those bikes. Um, on a sort of a side, there is a, an association in the UK called the Rough Stuff Fellowship, and they've been around since about 1956, and they're just putting out. There's a a few people that are doing the book, um, the, going through the the photo archives. They have this amazing slide collection from like the 50s through the 70s, and most of them color too. Like I was surprised, like even like the 50s stuff was color slides of all these adventures that they put on, like as regular meetups um, that people would do this. Like this was like a touring club where they would find, you know, unpaved roads and mountain passes in Britain, and the bike of the day generally, especially like. If you had the money, you might have, like, gotten a fancier bike. Like, Raleigh definitely had bikes with derailleurs and, like, really nice tubing and stuff like that. And, you know, or you might have gone to, like, France and get, like, a constructeur to build you a bike or something like that. But a lot of those people in the Rough Stuff Fellowship in that era, in the 50s, were riding, like, basic three-speed bikes. And they were just, you know, having fun. And, like, yeah, they were walking up these grades. But even, like, then, like, as I said, like... A lot of the derailleur bikes of that era were, weren't even that great to go up those mm-hmm. ba- grades either. Like they weren't, weren't you know, didn't really have a super low gear, and you know, they were having fun. Like oh, those yeah. photos of them, like people out there just you know getting out in the wood. Uh, well, not as much woods in the UK. It's a lot of like moors and stuff like that. But like having having these adventures, and they weren't like thinking about the fact that like if their bike was good enough. I mean, as I was mm-hmm. getting back to that point, is like. People back then, they had one bike what they can afford. They didn't have multiple bikes. They didn't have like, well, okay, we're going to see a little bit of gravel today, so I'm going to get my gravel bike yeah. because this is... It's, a- it's more like, how can I get the best out of this this experience? I, I've seen photos uh, back into the very late 1800s, maybe like very early 1900s of people in Norway mm-hmm. and in fjordlands just doing it on penny farthings yeah. up and down the passes yeah i mean I think, it, I think it's like a something that stretches through generations of like kind of like not not why are you into it but I'll, I'll, more so it, it, it's important to remember that you can have an enjoyable time and you can have a very therapeutic and a very meaningful time no matter what and so the trick is not to get the best bike the trick is to give your best self to the bike that you have and to enjoy the experience in between yeah and especially i, I think like it might have been easier in that era to do that because, you know, you didn't have all these these tools and like you didn't have the resources we have today where it's like you can immediately go to the Internet and like, you know, look at forums, look at so many different catalogs and websites and stuff like that. You know, you basically like were limited to the bike that you had yeah. and you made do with that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that like if, you know, you gave somebody from 1959 
like, you know, a bike that was carbon fiber and electronic shifting and hydraulic brakes that like if you gave it to them, they wouldn't have fun or they might not choose it. But the, the, the simple fact comes is they didn't have that choice and they, they did what they did with what they could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's like when you look at the past with a lot of things, it's like, you know, it's like we think it's like quaint now, but it's like, you know, that's what they had and they, mm-hmm. they did what they could. And the, the part of it um, that's kind of interesting to me is what will the people of, you know, 2060 or 2080 t- say yeah. about our carbon fiber? They're like, oh, well, we've got graphene bikes. Yeah. Now. You know, what what, what were obtanium. you fools doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> those bikes were so heavy. They weighed, they weighed more than three pounds. Yeah. Like, Travesty. Yeah. Travesty. Um, well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on did you did you have a closing or would you like to have a, a closing in there i know we're we're getting up on 806 here All so right. i wanted to respect that time for okay um closing thoughts um if anybody is interested in new old stock my comics or other things you can go to my website that will have all that stuff and that is urbanadventureleague.wordpress.com and that's all spelled out the way it should there's no funky letters or anything like that or weird spellings or you know anything like that um that w- if you go to urbanventureleague.wordpress.com you'll see the things that i'm doing because i do lead a lot of bike rides around town around portland here and you can also get to my web store where you can see you know all these comics that I do. I I I put a lot of them online, but I'm a classic comics person, zinester that makes print editions of things. And you know, if you want to especially support an artist, it's a good way to go there and take a look and see and purchase some things. Um, you can also purchase memberships to the Society of Three Speeds that way, and you'll see you'll get uh, a patch and some stickers and buttons and some other cool things and be part of the society of people that come from all over the world. I'm, I'm not making that up. There are members from all corners of this earth and the society of three speeds and, um, and sort of more upcoming things on the 16th, um, Saturday, February 16th, I'm going to be leading a slew count Sioux country ramble ride. I'll be meeting up at uh, 10 AM at the cafe 11, which is a uh, Rosa parks, and uh, Northeast Six, um, and we'll be going to do a 20-mile ride around the areas around the Columbia Slough. That's that is uh, weather and conditions permitting. Um, so I'm saying this, we're like getting all these dire predictions mm-hmm. about snow coming up this week, and I don't know what it's going to look like going into next weekend. So I can't promise. I mean, hopefully everything's cleared up. Like hopefully we just get a little bit of snow, and then it's all good and stuff like that. Um, and did I say 10? I think it's 11. Um, I'd have to check the calendar, but um, it is that morning. And so, but if it, you know, I might postpone it if it's too bad. And then I also have those, that workshop coming up on Saturday, March 2nd at the, uh, golden pliers. So you can go to the website it does require registration. I limit it to six people. And then after that, on the ninth, the Saturday, March 9th, I will be doing a dead freeways ride. That'll be yeah, starting. Yeah. yeah. I will be there. Cool. And yeah. I'll be starting over at Fehrenbecker Hoff, um, over on Goose Hollow, about Southwest 18th and Jefferson behind the Goose Hollow Inn. It is a coffee shop owned by everybody's favorite ex-Portland mayor, Bud Clark. Um, and this ride's a ride I've been doing for about 10 years or so, and it sort of explores our fascinating little freeway history of the freeways that we stopped, like the Mount Hood Freeway, and also freeways that we got rid of, like Harbor Drive. So if you want to hurt, learn a little bit, of, like especially about like freeway revolts and uh, like car culture and how it affected portland in the mid 20th century it's a good little ride to come on yeah absolutely yeah i think i've said all the things i've said i also like to say uh thank you aaron you're not here right now but hope you're doing well Mm -hmm. sending sending good thoughts yes sending good thoughts 
Cool. Would you like to hang around for our uh, news and headlines? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Sean. No problem. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. All right. And look, looking forward to the Dead Freeways ride. Okay. Thanks. I talked it up last episode. I'm I'm a big fan of that one. Good. For someone who's not being on it, I think I've heard more about it than almost any other ride in Portland. <laughs> I've done my part. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you on uh, March 9th. Um, so for our calendar the second thursday of every month is the joyful riders club in minneapolis the second friday of every month is also the boston bike party also the second friday of every month the indianapolis bike party also also the second friday of every month the east bay bike party and the last friday of every month the baltimore bike party every second sunday of every month here in pdx the corvidai bike club ride Ah, almost got my voice back this week. February 16th, the Slough County Ramble. And March 9th, coming up, the Dead Freeways Ride. Upcoming film-by-bike tour dates include Hood River, Oregon, February 12th, Arcata, California, March 15th, and Bendigo, Australia, October 4th. And now, for our headlines. For our headlines... Uh, we totally forgot last week to talk about somebody who was also in the studio with us. Um, Whitney was doing some filming, which you'll have a chance to check out. Uh, Bridgeliner is a essential email newsletter for Portland's curious locals. They say sign up to get our curated news stories and events delivered to your inbox daily. And we were actually contacted by Bridgeliner to do or be part of um, a series which they're calling Transportation Changemakers. And so really cool series. If you want to check it out, you can go to bridgeliner.com slash category slash changemakers. We are not up there yet as we just finished uh, recording for that today. So I would look to see it up the next week or so and we'll put a note in our show when that comes along but you can visit right now and already see a couple of individuals doing some really cool things to push and move transportation forward here in portland now for our headlines also in love with cycling carolyn jen now wants to bring more women along women along for rides by ashley baker this is ashley baker's first article in bike portland uh, via bikeportland.org and the article goes on to say nationwide there's a significant gender gap in cycling probably not a surprise to any of our sprocket podcast listeners and portland in this isn't immune despite its reputation as a haven for cyclists granted portland's gender gap in cycling is smaller than in most of the country according to the bureau of transportation about 35 percent of bicycle trips in portland are taken by women compared to only 25 percent in the rest of the united states still that leaves two men riding for every woman Um, and then the article goes on to quote the organizer of ride like a girl when i started hearing what barriers were there for women carolyn told me i really saw it through the lens of an educator Her career intel as a training manager gave her the knowledge and perspective to act. I feel compelled that everything I was hearing I could help women overcome with a supportive training process. So when she retired in 2013, after months of daydreaming, that's what she did. And in April of that year, she began planning the first meeting for what would become her women's cycling club, Ride Like a Girl. The article goes on to say, Carolyn's effort to create a supportive riding club for women has resulted in many wins, not the least of which is that Ride Like a Girl boasts 450 members and counting, yet her search for innovative ways to sustain and grow the group isn't over. She still grapples, for instance, with how to leverage her limited resources for better diversity in her membership, which is predominantly white, retired, or part-time working women. 
2019 is shaping up to be a big year for Ride Like a Girl as Carolyn makes a big marketing push and organizes another full slate of events and rides, including a special 12-week coaching package to help women prepare for her annual Reach the Beach ride. So if you're interested, um, feel free to check out the Bike Portland article. And if you've got somebody in your life who is perhaps out in the world, but not out cycling in the world, but is interested in, uh, sounds like yet another good organization to get involved with. Uh, I think Portland, we can do better than 35%. I shouldn't have to say that, but it, it is absolutely the case. Um, also, from BikePortland.org, in, surpri- in a surprise change, ODOT will extend the I-5 Rose Quarter, speaking of dead freeways, <laughs> or what we hope to have as a dead freeway. Uh, Zombie freeway. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the, the ever-growing, I feel like it's the moldy freeway, it yeah. just keep, keeps growing. Uh, we'll extend the I-5 Rose Quarter comment period to 45 days. Oregon, the Oregon Department of Transportation announced this morning that they'll extend the public comment period on the environmental assessment of their I-5 Rose Quarter project. And folks uh, and frequent listeners to the podcast will remember when we had Aaron Brown from No More Freeways PDX on the episode or on the podcast a, a couple of months ago. Might be a time to bring him back in. The announcement comes as a surprise. Less than a month ago, ODOT said 30 days would be enough, and the agency formally declined requests from the No More Freeways Coalition and Portly, Portland City Commissioner Chloe Daly to extend it to 60 days. Upcoming opportunities for feedback include a drop-in open house on March 7th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. at Left Bank Annex, a public hearing on March 12th from 4.30 to 6 p.m. at the Oregon Convention Center, and an online open house, which will begin February 15th the um, EA release date and run through April 1st. You can read more on bikeportland.org. I feel like from a very personal standpoint, something that will be there for decades upon decades probably deserves a little bit more than 45 days of comment. I will, I will leave it at that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because if you like one of the things I talk about on the dead freeways, ride Is like, comment periods weren't really a thing back in the 50s and 60s when their domain was a thing yeah they, <laughs> well, there was, still is <laughs> there there might have been like a token like thing but there it was everything was predetermined by the time they got around to it yeah do you get into moses and and so that legacy uh, yeah a bit about that okay yes the famous slash infamous transportation planner around portland back in the day yeah that's a fat i don't know if you ever read the book the power broker the, i did by, not no. that is a fascinating book uh Robert uh, Caro did it, and it was in the seventies. It's it's a tome. It's like about twelve hundred pages long, but it's a real extensive uh, biography, unauthorized, about Robert Moses. And it wasn't just freeways that he did in New York. I mean, he was Parks Commissioner. That was his ostensible title for like forty years. But he put his stamp on New York City on the area around it and also just car- with, like with freeways, like just the idea in general about stuff translated across the U.S. Yeah, indeed. Well, if you are looking to learn more about freeways, um, consider writing a comment, but also consider going on the Dead Freeways ride. March 9th, I'll make one more plug for that. Thank you. And with that, we have reached the end. Uh, Are we ready for this? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio thanks to the generous support of Open Signal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Call or text 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. 
and thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Katrina Mellengard, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Bozinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler, Dave Nose, Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G., I'm not going to read my name. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regranary. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton, Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam, Derek Wagner, Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore, Todd Grossbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Jimmy Diesel, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks, Caw-caw! yeah, it's mostly back, Marshall, Paula Afunatake Cyclecraft, Philip M., Spartandale, no relation, and Mr. T, who never really lift, left, Bike Initiative Kiwana, and Sarah G., and to all of our former donors who've helped us get this far, now brush your teeth, go to bed, and thank you for being a supporter of the Sprocket Podcast. Good day. Thanks for chilling. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about the ride. Like, I feel like I learned more about it through Evan, and like, I, it's almost the sense of like, I feel like I, I've been on it, uh, but but through his eyes rather than actually participating myself.